Blog Talk Radio. Check out Uda. Blog Talk Radio. We're back. Like I said, that is public domain from every bad, probably adult film and 70s film ever made. I don't think they paid that poor guy more than 50 bucks, and it's been in every bad movie ever made. So we use it on our show. Anyway, folks, it is Vegas Vent Sales and Marketing Behind the Eight Ball. I'm really excited about this show. I had made a post, um, I don't know, a week or two ago, I said... um, you know, after I did the Reptilian show, which you guys turned out for, I was really shocked, and I appreciate it. Um, that I was, uh, we were gonna, we were gonna change formats. We were gonna put guys on that actually Im- implemented, rather than just taught theory. And when I mean people who teach theory, I mean people that crank out a, you know, you, you, one week you're you're talking about video marketing, next week you're talking about, you know, why armadillos. You know, mate in July, and and the third one is why hummingbirds hum, bumblebees sting, whatever. And I just, it, it's, I was starting to get somebody wrote on Facebook, and said something like, I wish we could, you know, some of us actually are beginning consultants, and we actually, or and or we own our own business, and there's nobody out there really addressing us, and and so. I went out and I before I had gotten the cancer, this was the guy I wanted. Um, I was listening to this is how I actually discovered David. I was listening to I don't even know if he's still up there. You all know my feelings towards Michael Sinoff. There's no love lost there, but I've always said he's got one of the greatest free resource sites in the world up there. And he was interviewing this guy, the guy I'm on tonight, obviously, and I was not able. Because at the time, Michael wouldn't give away any contact information or anything. It was like all covert. It wasn't like he was doing a product with him, so I didn't catch it. But I kept going over and over, and I could catch the first name David, and then something about Taguchi, and then I, which is a marketing system, which would take us six hours to explain, or at least me. I, I'll, maybe I'll, I might let David get, give him three minutes to talk about it, but... Um, Anyway, I found I found out about this guy, and then I talked to somebody I was working with on the Barter Arbitrage product, project. Said, "Yeah, he's guy's brilliant." And I and I've mentioned him on many of my shows. I said, "You'd have to be a rocket scientist to figure out some of the stuff this guy does." And then I said, "And I think he was a rocket scientist." So, <laughs> literally. Or something to do with robotics. We're going to get into that. But um really excited to have David Bullock on tonight. This guy, I'm telling you guys, this is the show you guys need to pay attention to because uh, he hasn't done one of these in a while, and uh, I'm really, really excited. They've got uh, BTR even extended the time for me. They put it featured. 
as all my shows should be. But you never know. Tonight they feature this show. And um, we'll start off. I want to thank Marshall Wayne from last week. Uh, we we broke we broke his last record, which was 1,600 listens. I think we're up to 1,700 and still archiving. And I appreciate that. Uh, glad he did well down at Yannick Silver's event. And uh, brilliant branding guy. He's going to go a long way. Um, the sponsor for the evening, as always, Roscoe's Rib Shack on Redondo. Three locations to serve you. And remember, tell them Vinny sent you a free check cashing between the hours of midnight and 6. Roscoe's Rib Shack on Redondo. The tastiest ribs you'll ever find. And like I said, that free check cashing, post-dated third-party checks, if you tell them I sent you, they'll take care of you. Uh, make sure the check's legit, peeps. All right. Again, when we we talk about major players, we're not talking about an ebook seller here, guys. David Bullock has some of the most heavyweight credentials you're going to find. Um, I had first again heard about him on one of these interviews. I did some research. Somebody said, "Yeah, he he was with Stompernet, and you know, for a lot of marketers, that'd be the holy grail." Um, and he walked away from it, and. He, you know, that's we can maybe get into that, or maybe it's not even relevant. But he he walked away from it because this is a guy who doesn't put out a bunch of stuff. What he does is he actually does it. So for him to actually uh, come on here and discuss it, I know he gets paid a shitload of money for speeches. So this is really really an honor. And bro, it's I'm really excited to have you on. Man, it is good to be on. Thanks for having me on today. Let's uh, let's see where we can go with this. It ought to be fun. I think I think we're going to start right off in and I you know there's a you know a lot of people are real humble on my show and I always say I think Ali or somebody said it ain't bragging if it's true I want you to uh, um, because some of the numbers you've done are so staggering I like to why don't you fill us in just on your credentials a little bit because uh, um, you know your background what you studied because you you've got a resume that's pretty incredible and then we'll get into the rest of the stuff but I want to lay the foundation for why you are qualified to talk about so much of this stuff that we're going to be discussing. Well, let's look. If I go back to, to school, when I was in school, I was an intern in the sales program at um, Mobile. Then it was Mobile Oil, and there's Mobile Exxon. So I was in their first program where they were teaching people how to sell oil. Um, it's become a tribologist, meaning you know everything that moves has lubrication in it. And that was what they had us doing. So we, I was in that program we did I did about one point two million dollars worth of sales as an intern, which they asked and then they asked me to come back the next year. So that was fun. That was before I was even out of school. Um, no, were you talking college or were we talking I mean what what time period about how old were this you? Is at college. This, oh, okay. I was probably oh gosh, I was yeah, I was probably about like nineteen, eighteen, yeah, nineteen years old at that time. So that was my first piece of uh first understanding of commercial sales. We were actually right. selling um oil, wow vacation and whatnot to uh, oil mills and that type of thing up in, like, Bangor, Maine, and I was doing the work with those big earth movers and that type of thing. So that was my first experience of commercial sales. And then I left there um, after being in – I was an engineer, like the assistant to the uh, chief engineer. Right. Took a step back and went back into engineering. And I left – the next place I ended up was DuPont as an actual process engineer. We were making the nylon because then Desert Storm was going on. So right. that plant, we were making the nylon that went into, like, the parachutes and the tents and the boots and whatnot, 
and I moved in there as what they call a process engineer, and my job was to basically fix things on site. And we did about 3 or $4 million in engineering savings in, like, the first two years I was there. I worked my way up to be, like, a maintenance supervisor and that type of thing. Still haven't come back into sales. I was in sales, went back into engineering because I wanted to be what wanted to become technically competent, did that work at DuPont, left DuPont um, in the nylon business and went over into the automotive business. I learned how how they were making cars. So now all of a sudden I find myself working in a GM plant. So I'm at a GM plant shutting down one old plant and bringing up a new one, but that's when I got into the automotive industry. And here's where it started getting interesting. They sent me for training one day to learn how to, to basically use robots because the GM plant was getting some robots. Right. And I just, I liked the training so much, I just didn't come back. I put in my resume um, that Monday, got the job that Wednesday, resigned on that next Friday, and started the next Monday Monday in um, in the robotics industry. They trained you, you know, almost, they trained you right out of a job, it sounds like. Completely. <laughs> completely. It's great. But, but, but that goes back to the, to, the, to the idea, when you see an opportunity, sometimes you really, you really need to take it. You need to oh, stop absolutely. for a minute and, and go for it. So I remember I you know, got my resume, suited up, boom, boom, done, got the job, moved, and did not skip a beat. You know, you had a hell of a resume put together by that point anyway, which is, I mean, it's almost frightening. I mean, a lot of us are feeling dumb right now because, I mean, it's just incredible. And that's one of the things I'm going to have to address later. I don't want – because, to be honest with you, 99% of the people probably don't have that IQ, and yet I know that – there are some smart, savvy people out there that could do some of the things you do. But uh, what I guess I'm trying to get across is, I mean, there aren't many people that, that have a resume starting out life that early. That's, that's pretty impressive. So you, you're, 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 you resign at that point and you go into, let's, let's go from there, robotics. I go into robotics and I, I hang out there. And now I'm all over the world. I'm working with, like, Ferrari, BMW, Mercedes, you know, that type. But I'm an I'm a engineer. I'm, right. I'm basically um, programming the robots to, to spray cars. And so I did that for a while and then worked my way up through what they call project management, where you're basically putting projects in. And then I worked in something called product uh, management, where you're actually making products to sell to the public or sell into industry. And then finally, after many years, I got back in sales. Right. And at that point, they made me what they call district. I was an international district account manager for transplants. What that means in English is that the the Japanese companies that were coming into the United States at that time, you know, Nissan, Honda, um, and the foreign companies like BMW, Mercedes, they were coming into the United States at that time, and I had those those accounts. So I had to basically liaison between the company here in the United States and Japan to handle those particular accounts, and it was great. I mean, well, no, let's back up. It wasn't great. What was really going on is our economy was doing great. When our economy is doing great, their economy is terrible. It's so taking really, over it, Japan. Eh? Yeah, okay. Yep. So what, but it was a good lesson because for the first couple of years, yeah, I think it was the first two years, I really couldn't sell any robots. All I could do was service my clients. That's it. I could just go and see them, see how they were doing, what was happening. But because I was a process engineer for so many years, I could actually go in and fix the robots when something was wrong. What do these robots do exactly? I want people to kind of get a visual because when we think of robots, I know what I think of. So what exactly were they? 
Yeah, these aren't the Robbie the Robot types. These are like one arm. One, they're like articulating arms. It's, it's basically you have this thing called a controller, which is the brain. Okay. And you have this other thing, which is looks like a, a basically a man with his arms out. Um, like if you put both of your hands and put them to get clasped in front of you and sure. you bend at the waist, that's about all the robot can do. And it can bend around at the waist, but it can pick up like tons. Is it I mean, like the like, 60 Minutes episode I saw where they got like an entire factory now being run yes. by robots pretty much moving yes. by? Really? That's, wow. That's it. That's what I used to do. That that whole piece where you'd have a car come in and it could either take the metal out of the press line or mm-hmm. spray paint the robot or weld the robot either with arc welding or spot welding or laser welding. That's what robots do now in the industry. And I was the guy who was servicing those robots from the both sales side as well as the service side here in this area. The area was basically like the southwest, like Tennessee into into Alabama is what I had as a territory. And it was fun. It sounds Um, like any one of those businesses you could have stopped at and became a millionaire at any time you wanted to, pretty much. I mean, mm -hmm. Or quite, I mean, those. Well, they were. Let's put it like this: Had you chosen to stay with almost any of that, you were you weren't going to starve for sure. No, no, not at all. But the other, the only thing that I would say there is that I was I was an employee. I was right, working right. for someone, you know, exactly. and, and they, you know, that was their business, and they would say, "Well, great, here's your salary and here's your bonus." And right, and sometimes you get it, and sometimes you wouldn't. Sometimes you hit your numbers, and sometimes not. Right. So I mean. In '04 is when things really changed because I left Fanic, and it was it was then I and I became my own business owner, which changed everything because all of a sudden you don't have the the big name of a company behind you. You really it's a it's a self esteem hit of oh my gosh what do I do now? Right. Because now I'm running this thing and people don't really know that when you go into business for yourself, a lot of times you have like a big company and infrastructure and all these people and a brand behind you, and all of a sudden you're on your own. Yep. And if you really don't know who you are, you're you naked out there. Own, oh, yeah. my God. It will it messes with your head, and, and then you have to, like, you have to get it, kill it, bring it home, and it's a completely different ball game. So I really admire people who take that jump early. It was, for me, it was, you know, almost 10 years ago now, but for those who really do that early, sometimes I can honestly say they may be at an advantage sure. because they don't have – the um the mental burden of having been in a corporate situation or in a job so long that they feel they have a safety and they're used to getting paid every two weeks and that type of thing. Right. That they, yeah, that the monotony of uh, uh of structure and you've always got that big brother behind you with the big corporate name which can lend itself to confidence. Hey, by the way, I'm so and so with DuPont Whereas on your own, I'm so and so with uh, well myself basically, um, mm. and other than that, you have or or in your case, as you built it up, I assume you you can name drop clients at that point. Is but you didn't. That's not the way anybody starts. You, it all starts with that first uh, client. Did you decide when you when you made the leap to your own company? What was that? Was that consulting? Oh, it was yeah. At that point, I was doing a, it was the Taguchi piece was something that I learned. It was it was web optimization. And I'm going to let you give them five minutes of what the hell Taguchi marketing because you're about the only. I, I'm telling you guys, Taguchi marketing is a show unto itself. Uh, you'd have to almost be a rocket scientist, I think, to understand it. But if you can break down, and David's one of the masters of this, and it's and I think it's fascinating because this is something. Did you learn this over in Japan? Am I correct, or did you? Or? No, I, I I learned some of this. Kaizen is what I learned from the people that I was working with from, with the Japanese company, Lean Manufacturing and Kaizen, which is optimization of a process. 
Okay, explain it a little bit to us. Okay, Taguchi, imagine this. You go into someone's house and and, and you see furniture. Here's the metaphor. You see furniture. You see a chair over here. You see a sofa over there. You see a light over there. You basically see stuff in the room, okay? Depending on how that stuff is arranged in the room, you either enjoy the room or not. Either you want to stay there and do what they want you to do or you want to leave, okay? Taguchi allows you to basically put different arrangements on a website or in a sales message or basically just on any project that you want so that it gives what they call the optimum response or the highest response. Okay. And so what you do, so what Taguchi does is it tells you what needs to be in the room and on the web page, which is actually strongest that supports what you're trying to do, and it tells you what's weakest on the page. But here's where it really gets interesting, gives you leverage, meaning a lot of times people talk about split testing. And right. You can only test one thing at a time. With Taguchi, you can actually test up to 12 things at a time, and it simulates a thousand different tests. So instead of me having to actually do a thousand split tests, I can test 12 things in a certain sequence, and it tells me exactly what's going on on that page, what should be there, what shouldn't be there, and what order they should be in, so that way I can put my best foot forward all the time. That's really what Taguchi is in a nutshell. It's just hype. It's testing on steroids. And it's wow. optimization on steroids. That's what it is. How prevalent is that now? Is it more prevalent overseas, or are they are some are the companies finally picking up on it here now? And I know you're one of the players in that, and I know you probably um, instituted. Have you instituted this for companies down, uh, here in in the states? Yeah, we've done. We, well, we've done. There was two things. I actually worked with some software that was used pretty 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 prevalently within the industry. That was one thing. A lot of my IP was in that. And, we, yes, we've worked with some companies and gotten them some very phenomenal results over the years. Um, a lot of it, the tools weren't available to do this when I started doing this some years ago. Right. But now with the, with the Google Web Optimizer, you can actually do a lot of that work within their, within their system if you know how to set it up. So, a lot of, again, the tools are now available now that weren't available before, which made it so difficult. Okay. Now, but now, now, wait a minute, I'm going to tell you the rub, though. The thing that people don't 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 I guess the understanding piece is it has nothing the Gucci is just a structure. Right. The part that's most important is what do you put into the test and there's a whole other science around component design that has never been talked about or dealt with. I know I never talked about it. There's a whole other piece on what goes into the test so that you get good stuff out. Because right. garbage, yeah, in, garbage in, garbage, garbage out, out, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's, it, it's a fascinating model because it made it made sense to me. I didn't. I wouldn't have a clue. I mean, if I was trying to do that, I'd be calling you. But I, it did make sense to me that you could get. It, it was almost like uh, somebody who was trying to hack into something. You know, like in war games where they got twelve. You know, zillion different uh, things going at once instead of trying it seven digits at a time. I mean, it's just like a math massive streamlined testing system. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, that's far more efficient than your standard Internet marketing split test where let's try headline A, headline B. Could this be applied in the Internet marketing world, I mean, with headlines or something? Oh, absolutely. Back in '04, there was, an, I don't even know if it's out there still, but there was a guy named, well, Perry Marshall interviewed me back in '04 when mm-hmm. I first in the marketplace, and we talked about it. And it was brand new at the time for the Internet marketing space and a couple just like you spoke of, a couple of the super internet marketers, God bless sure. them, 
um, <laughs> took the whole thing and tried to make it into this program, and then it didn't work. And I, and I really got upset about that because I was like, you know, this is something that can really work for people if, they, if you take the time and understand it. And you all have, like, made it into something which, is, which doesn't work, and now people are turned off to even optimizing their own sites because of the particular tool that was heavily promoted. And right. then the point that killed me is when I talked to the guy and I said, you know, like, why would you do that? He said, well, you know, you started a trend, and we just figured we would capitalize on it. And I said, wow. Well, that's and not it, the first time someone's done hole. that to your stuff. As I told you on the phone, I saw WSO being, we'll get into that in a minute, uh, being sold a while back on the Barack Obama squeeze page. They were selling templates. And um, it, I laughed out loud because I knew right where they took I mentioned that on my show many times. Um, uh, listening to one of your things, and we're, we're going to get into that. Uh, I'd like to actually start that right now because yeah. you came out with this product, and that's really when I started listening to your stock. And the guys, this is not a, <coughs> a political discussion, really, um, because when when those of you out there saying are right now saying I can never take my business from A to to this quantum leap uh, that he might be discussing, well. There, you know, Barack Obama again. This is actually, and if you're if you're a Barack Obama hater, you ought to be really paying attention because this is why he whipped your ass, <laughs> uh, primarily uh, for what David put together and explained. And and the product was called Brock 2.0, and it is important because let's let's look at who we were dealing with. We were looking at a, I think he was a first term senator. He was black. He was a very uh, liberal senator at a time when that the L word wasn't particularly a good thing to be. He was going up against the Clinton machine. I mean, my guy, when we mean the Clinton machine, we're talking not just Hillary, we're talking Bill, whose mm-hmm. approval rating right now I think is as high as any former president ever. It was 78% or some outrageous thing. And they had an established machine, established money. This guy could speak well, but let's be honest, this, this was to many people uh, a, a shock, but when you broke this down, um, it wasn't. It, it when I got done with it, I realized it wasn't a shock, shocking as as a lot of people thought it was, and that the model that was used could be applied to other things besides just a campaign. And the, and and to me, the odds of this gentleman getting elected president from where he was against what he was facing. Um, is a far bigger quantum leap than taking your business up a couple million dollars a year. So if you, I, I, I hope I summarized that and did it justice. But um, why don't we talk about the Brock 2.0 and run us through that? And and the truth is, um, again, you don't put out a lot of products. I mean, you're not you don't crank out information products. But that was one of the most you know brilliant documentations of. Uh, I mean, it could be any campaign manager that doesn't own that or any business owner that doesn't own that's crazy because it, you can just flip one thing for another. Instead of being a political candidate, your company, whatever. But mm-hmm. um, go ahead and talk a little bit about that because that, that, that was just a brilliant, brilliant thing. Wow, well, thanks. Um, the Barack 2.0 was, was just that. We were sitting there looking at this move. Social media had just come into the, into the well, it wasn't even mainstream yet. Like, people were saying, Twitter what and Facebook who at right. that time. But we were watching in 07, acting when I started tracking. In 07, he was starting to use Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, going, coming into 08, and he had a presence out there. Right. You know, like, on LinkedIn, he was asking, if I were to become your president, 
what would you want me to do for business owners and entrepreneurs? So now he's developing a social presence there. Um, Facebook, having a fan page, he was actually on Facebook before the general public was allowed to be on Facebook, so he was able to start communicating with the students. who was They were the only people allowed to be there at that time. Right. So really what, it, what we saw was that, wait a minute, how do you go from, like you were saying, obscurity as a first-term senator, though he had the Chicago machine behind him from a political standpoint, sure. how do you go from nowhere to somewhere using media? Now, let's take a step back because I've learned a couple things since we were working in 07. There's a blog post on my blog now which talks about people who use television, which was the Kennedy era. Right. And then if you take a step back, you'll see that I believe it was Nathaniel Hawthorne and, and Pierce used a book so to actually put someone into the public eye. So in every era, every time there's a technology change with media, book, television, radio, now social media, one of the political candidates uses that media to put them way into the marketplace and, and just crushes their, their, their opponent. We exactly. just happened to watch. President Obama do it, but here's the part that was that's interesting. But now, you were catching this before everybody else was. I mean, when you first started this, we weren't really aware of it. I mean, you that's what that's what makes it so impressive is you were actually catching this trend long before the rest of us were. Well, I mean, two things. Yeah. I was I was in the internet marketing space number one, and I was always, I was looking at systems because I was looking at how can I move my clients. Forward. And I was right. always, always studying media, but now with social media, there is no barrier to entry for publication. There's no barrier to entry for distribution of content. There's no barrier of entry for video, audio, text, or creating reach, as there have been on every other media before now. Right. Television is difficult to buy, okay? Getting a book you know, into the marketplace years ago was difficult. Yeah, you had to have a publisher. You had to have somebody yeah, actually say, yeah, I like your book. Or yeah. self-publish it yourself, which was wicked expensive at the time. Right. Now, now all those barriers of entry have been minimized. They don't even exist because anyone can do it. But more importantly now, we're in a situation where the information superhighway really is a superhighway. All the information that you ever wanted is already available. But then the question is how do you differentiate yourself with your business, your product, your service, or your offer so that it is it is heard above the information which is bombarding everyone. Now that piece, the secret sauce that we found out was catching what they call what we call the rising story. Like you said, he was a black man going up against a machine. So you have basically black versus white. You have you have man versus woman, meaning yep. you know him versus Miss Miss Clinton. You have a situation of, of David versus Goliath, which good versus is, evil, many would say. <laughs> yes, good versus evil. Okay, big guy versus little guy, so you have a good old boy made good conversation. Like, can he do it? So you had all these stories yeah. that were going on at the same time, and it captured the attention of the whole entire world. Yeah. And what he was able to do was take that that trend of stories that were indigenous to every human being. Like, these are what we listen to. We see them every day in the movies. We see them every day on the radio. We read them in the newspapers. He just right. took those stories and just basically used the media to publicize them, and then the media started feeding on it. So every time that he would do something, the media would, would say something about it, which would give him more media. This right. Going back and media spawns media. That's true. Exactly. Well, we call it news begets news. Right. Begets news. Yep. And, um, but, any, but what I'd like to impress upon your listeners is that anyone can do that. And the yep. and, and reason why we know anyone can do it is because we watched him do what he did, 
then we said, okay, let's see if we what we can do with this. We took the blog, we created a book out of it, right. we put some multimedia behind it. It took us all around the world as far as speaking and whatnot. Okay, great. Okay, then we said, okay, so that's fine. It, it worked for him. We tried it on ourselves. It worked for us. Okay, good. Now let's see if we can work with the client. So we took a client the same way. It was a sitting in a Starbucks, and it was a napkin, and it went right. from a napkin to now a $30 million valuated company. Wow. Okay, and, it, and, it, and it took that, you know, it took less than two years to get there, but it went from a napkin to not only marketplace presence, but actual general presence in an industry like healthcare. Wow. Same Very competitive to, industry. Yeah. So we went from politics to to regular businesses promoting content to now taking that same blueprint, applying it to healthcare, and then we said, well, where else can this be used? And then we just started applying it with, you know, consultants, authors, small business owners. It's like, okay, this blueprint works. Because once you have the blueprint, or as I call them, policy, once it's, once you know it works, you commit it to paper, it's a policy, it can be applied to anything, and that's exactly what you did. And that's kind of what my point was when people say, well, how does that help me? You're, you're, you're giving them examples right there. I mean, I remember you showing things like uh, Obama strategically holding up, which is uh, the BlackBerry. Um, oh, yeah. And that was, and, and there was so many, so many subliminal, subtle things being done there to appeal to demographics. And as we said, which I, I, I mentioned on my show several times, when you would go over to uh, Hillary's website, it was you'd punch her name in, and it was a motley crew of stuff. You got bombarded with this and this. I mean, it was content rich, but it was everywhere. When you went over to Barack Obama's squeeze page, if I'm not mistaken. You didn't even get in unless you left a zip code and something else. It was a real clean yep. email address, zip code. It was one way in, one way out. He would ask you for a donation, and then there was another subtlety there. He would say there was a little checkbox, but do you want this to be, do you want to continue to, uh, to subscribe and or donate up to the election? So really, he's been collecting money. Since '08 until now, from some people, five dollars. What a list! Uh, what a, yeah. I mean, I, how, uh, you, I think you mentioned at one point he had. I mean, he. What was the list count by your estimation? You think he might have compiled? Oh, it was. It, it was 13 million coming into this last election. Wow. And, and the reason, and the thing is, what I'd like to impress upon people is that the reason that he was able to do what he did the second time is because what he did the first time, which goes on to say that if you actually build your platform. Right. And it's something that you always have. Now, here it is. I did work there with a rising story that happened to be in politics, but I used it for consulting in offices and small business owners and corporations and that type of thing. See, so what that tells me is that you can take, if once you create your platform, no matter, in where, no matter where it is you have that success, if you package it right, right. You, can, you, can leverage, you can leverage it over and over and over again. So it's, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, to – I'm not that smart, really. All I did is I, I, I had a newspaper. I saw the television. I said, wait a minute. These people keep on talking about this stuff. There's something going on here. And the only the thing that really differentiates me from someone else is I decided to put up a blog, right? do something with it, and then said, okay, so we have a blog. That's good. And I said, well, what other media can we put this in? Oh, let's try a book because a book lends more credibility because there's a good factor. Then we got picked up. The, the Wharton School of Business allowed us to put a report inside of it, and they, you know, we presented it in front of one of their classes. Now all of a sudden, I'm in the business sector, 
And it just, you know, and then it's one step after the other. And it can happen for any one you piggybacked off this campaign, and and and, and as and he, as he's winning the election, you're getting a, a ton of uh, uh, a promotional uh, bling yourself in the process because you're actually, as you're as you're blogging, you're pretty much is replicating what he's doing, and you're getting results as well. I mean, that's the proof I'm talking about. That it's it's um, I mean, because this became. It wasn't just. Uh, there, I mean, we, we, you were originally talking about the campaign and uh, the use of his social media, but as you're documenting it, you yourself are now getting the residual effect of that. Am I correct? Exactly. In a mass degree. That, well, that piece. Well, we. It's funny. It sounds like it, it went really well, but we looked at politics. Well, can we use this in politics? Absolutely. Sure. But then we started looking at where else can this be used? And again. You break it down, it's, it's, you know, he knew his audience, he knew how to get traffic, he synergistically used all of the media that was available to him, and he capitalized on the story. At the end of the day, the only thing that people are, typically, is a story. Politics yeah. is a story. It has, There's no product that a politician really sells except leadership, okay? Right. There's no service that he really – well, he sells it after he gets elected, but – Coming into that, it is all a conversation. It is all a story. It is all it's a vision. It's, yeah, a vision. It's a vision. Of, yeah. It's information. Yeah. Okay. And yep. and where and where I find, we find most business owners take a misstep is they work on the product and or the delivery and or the service, and they don't take enough time to develop the story that is going to catapult that product or service into the you know in front of the people they want to actually speak to. That's fascinating. So, what do you say? And that that brings me to another question. You, I mean, I, I want to. I'm trying to figure out which to ask first, but I'm going to ask this first because I know you do consulting now. I mean, I assume you're doing yeah. working with companies. Okay, so I can hold off on that for a second. What do you say? If we've got new consultants out there um, that are looking to acquire what is your what's one of you, a few tips just for client acquisition how do you go about it and one of the things i think a lot of frustrated consultants do is they focus too much on the bells and whistles it's and 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 tactics rather than strategies and um you know like it, it, i always used to say it's like somebody comes in and tries to sell somebody a lead capture page without explaining to them that what they're really selling them is a customer database that they can you know continue you know they go about it on a tactical way um if you got a consultant out there or a business owner, we can say, we can say consultants first. What what are some tips there? I mean, for 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 getting rapport with a client. Well, first thing we most of the time, okay, tactics and the implementation of tactics is a commodity. I mean, right. you can get that done on on Odesk, you can get that done overseas, you can get that done easily. The, the implementation of tactics to be able to develop a strategy, only only like ten percent of the world from what I'm understanding, can think strategically, meaning what is the long, what am I really trying to do with you? What's the long-term vision? And then what are the pieces and parts I have to put in place as far as infrastructure to make that thing happen? Okay. As a new consultant, what I would do is first, instead of going after all the bells and whistles, I would ask myself, where do I want this business to take me? Because if you're selling a ebook, it can only take you so far if you don't have a strategic, exactly. you don't have a strategic, you know, a strategic plan in place. Okay. Some people can sell an e-book, and it, it leverages them up 
up and out of the market, the ebook market, and into, say, dealing with major corporations or larger businesses. Some people have an ebook, and all it does is just teach you selling ebooks. Yeah. See, you got to start with the idea of okay, who who needs to see this content such that they will pick up the phone or send me an email and say, I have to get this guy in. Okay. Exactly. That's where, that's where you start. Now, the ways to do that. Well, I, I'll give you an actual example. Okay. I went on ahead and bartered some of my Internet marketing skills. I love it. I am one of the okay. masters okay. of the barter world, so I, I love okay. it. Your barter story, great. Okay. I bartered some, some SEO, you know, SEO keyword, uh, mm-hmm. meta tag, title tag conversation, along with um, here's how to use Facebook, LinkedIn, here's where you can get backlinks to get your site and some site design. I do this website business assessment that I just took that and bought it that, like a yeah, website business assessment for a certification. Right. The certification was a $15,000 certification. They didn't care. I didn't care. I get the certification, but then that, now that certification is for companies that are in the Fortune 500. So now I have a You offer. trade it up. In the barter world, we call that trading up, and you trade it up big time. Okay. I'm able to now take that offer that now allows me to speak to any CMO of a company with the, with, to be able to say, look, this is something that you need, and I know you need it because I've been in your shoes before. Here's what it will do for you. But, see, I didn't have that before. I saw strategically where that particular certification would help me. So it wasn't I read about it on a squeeze page or somebody right. had a, a plan for me. I said, look, I see this over here. I see it can be used over there. How do I get that so that I can have this conversation over here? And it takes me out of the picture. So now it's the 30 years that this product has been on the market. It's the 2 million pieces of data in their databases. It's all of their people that have already used like America Express and Exxon and, and, sure. and Cirque Soleil. It's all of those people now. All I have to do is show up and say, hey, I have it available. The conversation can ensue and, and multiple dollars can go back and forth. As a consultant, I would stop women and stop trying to do the ebook and Kindle free thing mm-hmm. and, and and doing the, the AdWords and the Facebook fan page thing. Take a step back and say, if I had to have a conversation with someone who was in that office, I want to have an offer so good that if they don't listen to me, it's a psychological thing, that I know that they don't know enough to say yes. And exactly. You, say that, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, that I wasn't able to communicate the value of this to you. And you can go away with, with yourself being whole and not take an L. And not damaged, yeah, and frustrated. Right. Yeah, You're exactly. Not and, they, and you know that you delivered what you could to them from a market standpoint. And then you can go on to the next one. What most consultants do is they go in and they give away, God bless them, <laughs> they give away their best shot. Like, case in point, if you're a one-trick pony, like, the only thing you know about is, say, I don't know, pay-per-click, or all you know about is video, and you feel like you give, you give that away. When it comes time for you to do what you do, you've given it all away already. Where you know, that's a great point because I've been guilty of doing that, too, because video marketing is my expertise, and I've done that myself. And you're right because I've had them come back then later, and and uh, it's not a good thing. Let's just put it like that. You're right. You're yeah. you're dead dead on on that one. You, yeah, you so sure, I, and I, if you do give some of it away, you sure as hell don't give the whole enchilada away. Ah, well, let me tell you where it gets interesting. Where it gets interesting. I was able to, I, at this point, I could give away SEO, pay-per-click, <laughs> social media, 
because I was a tech editor for the AdWords for Dummies book. So, I, yeah, here's the AdWords for Dummies book. Boom. You have asked me to tech editor. Here's a book on social media. Oh, yeah, SEO, yeah, I know about that too. I could give all of that away at the beginning. Right. But that does not, that, that does not touch the offer that I really have. All those now are just conversation starters and right. not my business. Exactly. Okay, now let's conversely get off the consulting. Say you're a business owner. You're a business mm-hmm. owner and you're looking to, to uh, obviously, I'm going to assume um, most people don't want to go bankrupt. Uh, and, you know, and I'm not a big believer in blaming the economy, and, 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 I, and I never believed in the line, it doesn't work in my area, and all of this nonsense that I hear from people. Um or who's in office dictates how good my, you know, I, I just, I, I, there's money. I mean, you know, as, as as Jim used to say, there are more millionaires made in the Great Depression than any time in history. So I, I don't get, I personally don't buy into that mindset. But if you're a business owner, can you apply some of that same uh, tips that you just gave me on the consulting level to a business owner who's well, trying course, to do, yeah, because that's pretty much what you do now. Yeah, well, with about business, other things. What, one of, one of the things that I would say is if you're a business owner and you have what they, I call an infrastructure, meaning you have a building and you have employees and you have all the, for lack of a better term, the trappings of a business. Right. Okay. Um, you're, in a, you're in a situation that don't become so trapped in your business that you can't look to the left or to the right to bring, you know, to either be in other businesses, meaning use the Internet, use information products to get people into your business, developing joint ventures outside of, your current business, the key is not to get so stuck you can't see the forest for the tree. That's what happens. Right. People start will get into a business, and let's say it's going down, 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 and, and it's not working. You should be able to unstick yourself and either say, okay, this is not working. I have to do something else and do that, meaning cut your losses. Or while that's not working as well, I am, I am looking and I can do something else. One of the reasons why I've been, one of the reasons why I've like done the SEO and the pay per click and the social media and the books and the authors and the speaking and all that good stuff is because at any given time any one of those things may not work. But in, but if I have all of those things working at the same time, putting my content out there, speaking to people in the marketplace, allowing me to connect with who I want to connect to at the level I want to connect with, um, then I'm I'm, I'm kind of insulated. It's like insurance that my businesses will always grow, but all of the businesses come back to the idea of content being out of the marketplace, bumping into the people coming in. The more that you have out there that people can bump into, the more insulated your business will always be. And that's the part that people re- – I mean, if if you get that as a consultant or a business, that look, are you on the radio? Great. Well, okay, do the radio. But are you also doing television? Great. You can buy Remnant as on the local cable channel. Well, good. Are you in the newspaper? Are you in the local newspaper? Are you using that little shopper with coupons? Are you on Facebook with a, with a coupon page? Are you collecting names? Are you if you're, if you're a business owner, a bar owner, and you have bands coming in and out, well, are you conversing with those bands so they can hit their fans list to bring people into your establishment when they come in? See, there's, so, there's about 300 ways to get one person, one person, into any place. The key is not to find one way to find 300. The key right. is to find 300 ways to find one. And you just let them all ride at the same time and you keep moving. That, 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 that's great advice. Um, I actually gave you a little challenge, and I didn't give you hardly any time. Uh, um, I Actually, I, I before we booked the show, um, I wanted to find out which one of my Facebook followers, friends, had one of the 
what you'd call extreme businesses that you don't come across all the time. And I actually, I'm trying to get over to Facebook. You might have the name of the site because I think I gave it to you a little bit before the show. And I'd like you to discuss it. This is for Rick. And Rick um, is based, I believe, over in Mongolia. Help me out here, David. <laughs> Hold on for a second. I'm, I'm, I'm on the computer looking it up right now. Hold on. Okay. Because I didn't look at the site. Hold on for a second here. What is it? Where is it? It's like live tours of horses or something like that. Hold on. Right, right. I have live live livehistorytours.com. Livehistorytours.com. So if anybody wants to go over there, right. That's one. I think he had another site, but I'm not sure if that link was working, so we're just going with that one. But uh, uh, And I also sent you the little blurb that he wrote about uh, kind of the vision he had for the company and so forth and so on. And um, I know an idea that stuck out to me, and I know it did to you too probably. We'll find out. But there is a classic example of someone who's got something that's making money. It's definitely out there. It's not your traditional brick and mortar. Not at all. <laughs> I told you said you you had rode horses before. I, Vinny Vinny likes to go to the horse races. That's as close as I'm getting. Mm-hmm. No offense to Rick. <laughs> well, we looked at the site. And you were asking, like, okay, what would what would I do with this if this was my, you know, my 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 deal? Right. And so it's, it's it's a Mongolian. It's out in Mongolia. It's like adventure tours, for lack of a better term. And what came right. to mind for me immediately was like, well, to market that for like team building and to market that for like leadership development, where people have, you know, you take a corporate a group of executives out so they can bond with Absolutely. each other because they're getting ready to do a strategic, you know, implementation and that type of thing. There's bigger bucks in, in that. You know, people pay a lot of money for that. Now, we talked about briefly about, well, where would this go? Well, who would do that? The Rob Report, you know, those some of those higher-level magazines. Publications, yeah. Yeah, publications, um, adventure tours. So what I would do, really, since he already has the site up and whatnot, anyone who's doing those, like, uh, African safaris and, like, right. having people do flying those, uh, those, like, Russian megs, and, and those type of adventure-type tours, that's his ideal market. The problem is is that people have to be able to ride a horse. So you kind of got a little niche within the niche there. But that whole adventure market, they, once those people do, like, say, an African safari, they might want to do something else. But they've already proven that they're willing to go spend money on African safari. That's, it's just a matter of making contact with those people, possibly buying the list, doing the JV with them, and possibly even doing a reciprocal so it doesn't cost any money, and who knows? Yeah, you might find I, a whole group of people over there who all of a sudden he's now booked up for the next two years. You never know. I think that's great. And one thing that I mentioned was there was something in there. He talked about there's a very high uh, mortality rate or whatever or death rate for, for mothers over there. <laughs> and and I just – Kind of charity. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that whenever you can tie – I've always said the worst kind of press releases are the selfish ones that just strictly talk about you, 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 and nobody cares uh, for the most part. Uh, but if you can tie it into something newsworthy, I think I talked to Ron Douglas about this when we did our PR show, and he's been very – I mean, he's sold millions of his books just on free press. But with this, it almost seems like a – and I would go all out and spend the 289 on PR web probably and mm-hmm. tie that little – that in that – some of the proceeds are going and that this is a real issue in this part. Because apparently from what I was reading, uh, mothers die very young over there. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just think that something that, that could be picked up uh, as very newsworthy. It, it shows some compassion and, and tie it into what they're doing. But I, I think what you said about the, the corporate bonding tours, I think those, I think that's, I mean, that's, and believe me, that's a drop in the bucket. These guys, if they can spend 25000 on a speaker to come in for an hour, right. this is nothing. Well, well you, you, you mentioned two things there. The cause marketing is always huge. Mm-hmm. And, again, cause marketing ties back to that thing about finding the rising story in your marketplace that you can tie your message to. It just it speaks beyond you. I mean, we were, I mean here it is. I'm, all I was doing was reporting on what was happening worldwide that the whole world was seeing in the newspaper. He can do the very thing. This is happening over here in Mongolia. No one knows yep. about it, but I'm bringing that to light. And, by the way, it's, you know, and the truth is, I didn't know about it. That's that's what I'm saying. And if I don't know about it, uh, I'm sure there was a lot of other people who didn't mm-hmm. know about it. And 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 causes are, are are especially when you're dealing with females and mothers. That's something that's that's of interest to the media. And what I tell everybody also is, uh, we live. It's not days of Cronkite are over. We live in a 24/7 you know tabloid <laughs> media society. They got to fill that up. Constantly, They're, they. I've always said that the press is dying to make you rich and famous if you give them something that is in fact newsworthy. That is very true. You have you make a very good point. That's one of the things we learned about when we were promoting the book. You know, getting on radio shows and television and speaking events. People need good content. I mean, anyone who has who has a media outlet, they want to have good things to bring to the audience. So what you want to do. And it's, it's a very interesting boomerang effect. Show up as newsworthy, have good content, know your stuff flat-footed, be credible and be real, and guess what? All you promote in one speaking engagement will take you to the next one, which will take you to the next one. You just have to be willing to say yes when you push yourself into the marketplace. And see, exactly. And, and it's back up. When I say marketplace, really what I'm saying is, is media, because if there's no media then people don't get driven into the marketplace. And it's a symbiotic relationship. Right. Because there's media, people go to the marketplace, and because of the marketplace, people are looking in the media to see what's new. So it goes back and forth. Your key is to always show up. You're always new to someone. You will get tired of your marketing. You will get upset, tired, want to change your marketing far quicker than your audience ever will. Right. You'll say, I don't want to do that anymore, and, 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 but someone hasn't seen it yet. It's new to them. Case in point, here it is. We did this book on President Obama back in 08. We right. published it in 09. And here it is. We're in 2013. Yep. And we're still talking about it. But now watch. But I, I got a little bit lucky because he won a second time. Right. And the second time he won, it was because of big media, which was different than the first time. But, again, he couldn't have won the second time if the, if the foundation had not been laid. It had been laid in the first, in the first, in you the know. first place. Right. Yeah. I mean, that really was the long shot 35 to 1 underdog. I mean, that was the Buster Douglas KO of Mike Tyson when you really do think about it. But when you break it down, it 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 makes more sense. And that's what you did such a good job of. I mean, that, that's just an incredible. Again, that product, I believe, could, that really should be required. If I was a CEO or if I was a business owner, I grabbed that for no other reason that you really don't have any excuses because if he can get elected from where he was against who he was facing, um, what what can't you know the rest of the, the the population with half a brain and probably maybe even more infrastructure than he was starting with? 
Oh, well, yeah, I mean, we talked. I remember yeah. I did a, a talk in Canada one time, and, and I said, I said, look, you're a business. You actually have a product or service that you must deliver on. You're going to actually deliver something. A politician does not deliver anything until right. after fact. I said, so you're in a much better position because you really have a tangible Not theory. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's not theory. You're going to deliver that thing, that service, that feeling, that whatever it is. Even, I mean, even if you're a comedian, you're going right. to, you're here to make me laugh. Well, good. Right. You made the person laugh. Good. They're happy. A restaurant. You're here to get good food. Okay, here's your good food. Good. You pay for it and keep moving. A politician doesn't do that. Right. They talk for months and months and months and months and months. They haven't delivered anything. And so a business is in so much better position. <laughs> Where this was applied was like the most obscure market in the world, but the, our media told us to pay attention to the politics of it and not pay attention to the model. Right. And I'm saying pay attention to the model. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. The model has, has intricacy. There's, some, there's obviously things technically you need to know. There's, there is some theory and some experience that you need to have to be able to make this work effectively because easily you can go on LinkedIn and your market's not over there and you're playing over on Facebook. Okay, some things you need to know about the platform, sure. but that does not change the structure of the model. And so what I'm saying is, folks, look at the model, not where it's being used because the, if the model applies, use it. Exactly. Where it's being used is, is irrelevant, you know, because President Obama, you know, created $2 billion. Sounds like a business model. To me, yes. Okay, he got multi million dollars of free press and user generated content. Aren't we all trying to do that? Exactly. He was buying media and getting traffic to his Facebook page. Millions of people, tens of millions on his Facebook page, tens of billions on Twitter. Aren't we all trying to do that? Not at that scale, because we may not have that story. Right. But we do have something that will get us moving along. So we're picking up one and two new clients a week. Sometimes a month would, would make any business sane. You know, oh, know. absolutely. Well, you know, the way they, they do the, um, you know, in the sale of a business, if you could bring in an extra 5000 additional dollars a month revenue stream when it comes time to sell the business, that extra sixty grand is going to equate, could equate in some businesses to mm-hmm. the sale price being $200,000 more than it would have been. Yes. So, again, I, I impress upon the folks is not that – and I appreciate the beginning of it. You're smart. I, I just I got I, I was trained as an engineer. Okay, good. But as, but the engineering goes away when you come out here as a business owner. <laughs> Something happens. Exactly. All that engineering, all that engineering training sounds really good. And, you know, it sounds yeah. I understand process. Okay, I can see some different things. But when you're standing belly to belly and you have to sell or convince or show someone what your story is, or when you know you've never used Facebook or, you, or you're in a new platform. I get the same jitters in my stomach. Sure. When I don't know what's going to work is anybody else. You exactly. Know, it, it, How do you it, approach you know, a client today? I mean, I assume well, you get. I'm sure. Assume at this point, most people are contacting you. I don't know how what your ratio is, but um, what is the first thing you get? You know, a client calls you and says, "David, I need some help. Uh, I want to. I, I want my. You know, whatever they say. I want to make more money. I want to grow sales or whatever." Um, and they bring you in. What What is some of the first questions that you would ask? What are you doing? What are you trying to? What first question I ask is, what are you trying to do? Number one. Right. Number two, let's see what you're doing. You say because you may say you're trying to do X, Y, and Z, but you're doing P, D, and Q. Gotcha. So what I'm looking for typically is the gap between what they say they want, their desire, 
their their desired outcome, and then I look at their what their current actions are, and then I'm looking at also look at their infrastructure, you know, to support the actions that they say they want to make. And that gap is where the opportunity lies as a consultant. Now, how now, big or how big? I have always been a fan of. Um, Jim and I talked about this too uh, before he passed away again. Uh, Claude Hopkins. I've always, I have always been a fan of. Uh, he used to tell me back in the old days they would roll. He said they were among some of the most brilliant people in the world because once you have your metrics down, you know the cost of a lead, the cost to acquire oh, yeah. a customer. Once you have that down, um, they could roll out. You know, back in the days when Halbert and these guys would roll out these. You know, um, I I don't think a good many business owners would know the answer to their metrics. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not sure they know how much does it cost to get a client walk through your door. Um, and if you don't have that down, you're, you're in trouble. No, you have to, the the numbers that a business owner would need to know is first of all, the cost of a lead, right? Like how much it costs to get someone just to to raise their hand. Then the next question is the cost of sale, like cost of acquisition of a transaction. Right. Meaning, how many people do I have to come through the door to make one sale? And after you know that, what is my average order? Like, uh, when they came in, how much did they how much did they spend with me? And then the next question is, how much of that did they spend with profit? Right. Once you know those numbers, then you can say, well, now that I know that, and then and then the question is, how many frequency? How many times that person come back? Right. It goes to that question of lifetime value. Once you know that someone's going to when they come in the first time, that they're likely to spend. I don't know, say five hundred to six hundred dollars with you over the course of so many years, and that's typical. Right. Then you know that you can afford to spend. Okay, to be profitable, you could easily spend a hundred dollars. Absolutely. To get that person, knowing and but then it gets even deeper. If you know that they're going to say if, if you, hmm, now this is a secret. If if you can really get your front end offer up, meaning yep. not thirty five dollars, not three hundred dollars, but say that first acquisition fee. It's three thousand, and the margins are good. Yeah, and you're making a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars for that sale. And typically, that's an information product or a service. And you have nothing in it but time. And we talked earlier that the tactics and the getting something done is typically that's a commodity. So you can get people to do stuff. You can sell it, get them to do it, and you have big margins. Okay, because all you have is the time of the sale. If you can get that number way up. So which means every sale is now worth two thousand dollars for you up front within the first thirty days, the first week, or upon initial order. Okay, see now you really have something, but see, let me tell you what I'm what I found out. Most people's self esteem is not large enough for them to be able to make an offer that will bring in that type of money. Exactly. It's a dime sale mentality I see a lot on the warrior form now where we're going to start this product at $4 and raise it by $0.10. And I'm not saying I know there's some guys that make some money over there and do well, but it's it's that kind of lack mentality. And it does take a set of wavels to be able to go up um, and have the confidence in yourself to go up and ask for the big dollars. And uh, those, you know, and and I think you're making a real, real strong point right there. It gets even deeper. It gets it's deeper. an internet marketing mentality that we're taught to sell that front book for seven dollars or even give it away, and <laughs> and I, I I've never, you know, I, I I'm pretty contrarian anyway, but I just I just never necessarily believed that was the right approach. 
No, it, it, wait, wait a minute. It, it works. That the whole idea of giving it away free. Okay, the free stuff that I have is on my blog. Yeah, that's free. Yeah, and you've got some good videos up there. No, that's not what I meant. I'm just saying the they the, they never get them to the point. It's mm-hmm. fine to say start off with free and or the seven dollar front end, but I, I I a lot of times it never goes past the ninety seven dollar back end or something. And I I just I think there's I think there's people. I think there's players with money out there, and if you if you put the right offer out there, get the rapport, uh, you can get it. I know. I mean, you do, and there are once once you know there are people actually doing it, it proves it's possible. And um, I mean, you're one of the guys who does it. So, well, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that when you, when you look at again, it, it goes back to knowing who you are. You know, right. are you willing? Are you willing to to say I'm going to ask for fifty thousand dollars for this project? Am I willing to ask for twenty five thousand dollars for this project? It requires you to really be grounded in your skill set and what you're going to be able to deliver to be able to stand there and ask for that. Know you're going to get it and get it. Most people, and this is the same thing that you find if you if you've ever done work with people in the multiple marketing network marketing arena. Those people, you got to build up the person so that they'll be able to approach people to be able to make, a, 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 to be able to invite and or share their offer with people. And that goes back to, again, a self-esteem conversation or a confidence conversation yep. that once that's licked, that's why there's a very, that's why in every company you'll find that there's certain salesmen, there's like a top 1%. Yep. That, because that guy is not afraid. He knows what he has to offer. He's, going He's to not afraid to ask for the money. I mean, and get the money and keep moving. Yeah, <laughs> keep yeah. moving. Yeah, and move you know? on to the next one. Exactly. No, that that's that's true. What did you do? I know when we had connected a little bit about seven months ago, you were over in Dubai. What the hell were you doing over in Dubai? It, it looked real interesting, and then I was going through my treatment, so I missed out on that. I just kind of off the subject, but I was kind of curious about that. You had something? Was, were you speaking, was, or you where were you? It was a speaking tour that I did over there. I spoke in. I spoke. Oh gosh, it's like the PR Association over there. I spoke to several business groups over there um, in Dubai. It was. It was a situation where it's like, well, I've been asked. I've not gone before. Let's see what it is. I spoke to social media clubs over there. I spoke to this press association. I actually did a talk in, in something called the Burj Al Khalif um, in Al Arab. There were two buildings. Like one is the largest building in tallest building in the world. Right. The other one is like this seven-star hotel. I did presentations and meetings in both of those buildings while over there, and it was just—it was one of those things that sometimes when you get invited, you just go, just say yes, just go ahead on, and and, and, and you know what? Over there, the market for business over there is really wide open. Yeah. Because a lot of the things that that part of the world is, is several years behind. This part of the world, not from a technological standpoint necessarily, but from a marketing right. savvy standpoint, they, you know, right. SEO and pay per click and marketing and whatnot, and they do it differently. They're not as aggressive right. as we are here, and so if you, it, it's just a different ball game. So, getting out of the fishbowl of the United States and going somewhere else will give you a different perspective on what's available in other parts of the world. The United States is not the only market. No. And that whole idea of, uh, like, niching in the United States, and, oh, and then the other piece is that these people speak these all these other languages. So if you're right. only marketing in English, that means that you're missing out of, uh, in a whole lot of 
possibility in the rest of the world. You know, you got French, Italian, Greek. I mean, you've got all these other languages that you can deal in. Um, so that, that's the reason why I was over in Dubai. It was, a, it was a, an expansion experience for me, and I definitely want to go back because there is Disneyland. And there is some money. And I, 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 there, there's some money uh, marketer. I know Azamayo, he went over there, and he's purchased a lot of property over there. They do a lot of stuff in Dubai. And it was funny, they took on Donald Trump, and uh, – they, and Trump said, "Well, how are you? How are you beating me to all this stuff?" And they told him the truth: we're using ugly, handwritten yellow signs to purchase or sell various properties and stuff. He did what was called transactional financing, where he'd go in there and say, "If I get you enough buyers, I get a unit for myself." And that's how they were doing it. And Trump looked at him and said, "Well, if you're not going to tell me the truth, then don't waste my time." But that's really what they were doing, because <laughs> the psychology. I've talked a lot about that, the, uh, the the ugly yellow signs. I had the vice president of USB in here for dinner the other day, and we were talking about it. He said, if you see a house for sale, and it's got the big Century 21 sign and Susie Q in the red dress, uh, and it just smacks of this house is going to cost a lot, and this lady's not going to let me off the hook till I buy something. Whereas when you go down the road and you see a handwritten yellow neon sign with handwritten sloppy writing, going to jail must sell or whatever, it creates a whole different mindset in the buyer. He said, I saw one of those and I actually stopped because I was thinking of our conversation. And, I, and I've, I've done that with video marketing too. I found that slick and polished doesn't always – sometimes it comes across as slick and polished and too professional – and uh, that's what I, it, I just made me think of that because that's what they did up in Dubai. And mm-hmm. uh, there is a psychology behind those signs. They're known as banded signs or whatever, but uh, they do work. They're very effective. I actually um, put some out. Um, I said seven houses for sale, whatever. I didn't own a single house. Um, but I was taking the leads, and I was getting a ton of calls, and I was selling them to a lender for like 50 to to $100 a pop. And uh, yeah, and then if they sold, I got a back end on it. And I mean, and and you just find high traffic dense dense areas. And in some cases, you pay a guy fifty bucks to put it right on the corner, and um, the the calls would just come in and uh, you know sell leads that way. I mean, that's why I say there's so much opportunity out there. Um, well, let's, let's let's take let's let's stop there for a minute because sure. you're right. The newspaper works. Still, people still read the newspaper. People I totally agree. They still they still do it. They still deal with the ugly yellow signs on the corner. They still buy televisions from Craigslist. They still buy cars from Craigslist. All these things that people that are like, for lack of a better term, down and dirty, they're not. No one does that. Well, yes, they do. Students are buying stuff all the time. I I mean, the computer I have here I got from the student off of Craigslist. I bought a car for Craigslist. Guess what, folks? Craigslist and the classified ads, classified work. Classified ads is one of the most brilliant. I'm, there, I met a gentleman because I've been here 11 years, and I finally got to meet him. He's run the same ad for nine years in the paper. It says, I buy bamboo fishing rods and old old wooden fishing lures. Now, private collector, so, and I know he's not, um, and he wasn't. But he told, he ends up, basically what ends up happening is, he gets over there when he gets a call. It's usually a widow. Half the time they give him the stuff for free, and 
sometimes he'll, you know, he'll they'll pay him what he has. But I mean, like a bamboo uh, fishing rod can go for thousand dollars or more if it's a certain bit, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And I also tell people that the classifieds are gold because people that are actually going to spend money or even take the time to lift something in the classified uh, ad section are people probably not very internet savvy, may not own a, uh, um, uh, a computer altogether. And I mean. I know one day I picked up, I saw in their vintage Singer sewing machine, $25, and I think we turned around and sold it for 400 on eBay. Um, and it would have been something, had it been on Craigslist, I wouldn't have even probably been able to get to the phone fast enough because someone... Exactly. Yeah. So the classified sections are something I still look at a lot in terms of finding stuff because I do a lot of... I love... I still... It's, I've always had that hustle by buying and selling, and, and, and it... And it it's it's a medium that, like I said, everybody says nobody reads, and that's part of the reason there's a good deal there, because there there are a lot of people that don't read it anymore and they're online. But there's a lot of people selling stuff in the classifieds. You'd be well advised to look in those penny uh, savers and so forth, because um, a lot of the good stuff on Craigslist gets snapped up quicker. So yeah, now if you take now if you take that that same idea of classifieds, low-cost, no-cost marketing, and you apply that to the lead generation for an author or a consultant or anyone who has a high ticket. You take that same low-cost, no-cost hustle and apply that, nothing slick but effective, to your marketing, and you step back and again and say, well, look, I don't need one thing to bring. You know, you see these ads all the time. This guy got 2 million people to his website in two days. Okay, great. That's, That's nice. The question is, why? What if I had 300 ways to get one person, and all of those were low cost, no cost, yeah. and all were just giving me continual qualified leads? Because when you have one thing sitting in one place to get you one qualified lead a day, you are you're in heaven. Because now you, first of all, there's a couple things psychologically that are going on. First of all, you have more people to talk to than you can talk to. That's number one. Yeah. Okay. You're not ever in a lead deficit of like, oh, gosh, who am I going to talk to today? That's number one. Number two, they when you have that posture on the phone, you don't need them. And they exactly. Don't really it reverses the sales process. Oh, yeah. I love – there's a big difference between having to pick up and cold call because the power then is in the hands of whoever you're calling in a lot of cases. Um Unless you're really good. I mean, I know some guys that are just incredible on the phone, but I much rather like being in the other end where they're calling me because there's a power shift there, and I'm, I'm 100% more confident when somebody, oh, I saw your sign, tell me, you know, boom, than right. me trying to pick up a yellow page or white page and start calling numbers, which can be, you know, deflating after a while unless you're really, really good at it. Okay, so here it is. So we have, if you look back at what we did with the book, yeah, website. You have mobile, you have social media platforms, a gazillion of them. You have SEO, you have pay-per-click, you have the news, okay? You have email, you have building your own list, you have JVs, you have secondary sponsorships, you have solo ads, you have media buys. Okay, I have to name ten things that any one person can do to each get one qualified buyer. Now, the thing is, are you selling a $35 e-book or a $3,000 possibility for whatever it is? If you're selling a $35 ebook, that may not work for you because your cost ratios are upside down. Right. Whereas if you're, do, if you're doing it for something which is higher dollar and then an upsell from there, well, see, you just leveraged yourself and gave you a very good chance of success. Too many times we get into a situation where 
we're trying to sell low because, oh, everyone's going to buy it. You don't want everyone to buy it. You want only a couple people to buy it, and you make the same amount of money. Because oh, it's a snob appeal. I mean, I swear to God, there, there, there are. I mean, I see it. I see it all the time. They, they would. There are people that will flat out. I mean, I always use the, the Tiffany story. Uh, a Tiffany uh, necklace is sterling silver, and they've got a price five, six hundred. The intrinsic value of it uh, is probably thirty bucks, but because it's stamped Tiffany. You know, and you got to buy it at a Tiffany store. You know, they're going to go do it. I mean, but when you really break it down, it's not. You know, it's not really worth much. It's just it's sterling silver. It's not, and and there are people. Golfers are another one. I mean, that's a. I mean, I I think Gary Halbert said it right. He said I like screwing with uh, players with money. He called them, and there's a lot of industries out there. One thing Rick needs to do, and I don't think either of us mentioned, he did bring it up is I have a feeling he does have a higher ticket uh, program going on there. Um, he's got to get a lead capture on there and um, with follow-up, because without the lead capture, I mean, that's that's crazy. So if Rick's yeah, out well, there... I saw, I, saw you, I saw a YouTube video on there, but, yeah, there was no, there was no lead capture. There was right. no, here's, here's what here leadership skills are from Daniel Connor. Here's the adventure of the lifetime, and here's what to do for you. I didn't see that. Exactly, that, and he could follow up, and, and, and if it is like a three to $5,000 thing, it would behoove him because – and that's where some people like to hide the price and stuff. I, I'm not necessarily sure that's a good thing either because the people that are interested in that, that, that price ticket isn't going to bother them, and at that point you could follow up with a direct mail piece with some pictures and some, you know, a, a rundown of the whole tour and make it look nice and send it first class. I don't know if you could do that for Mongolia, but send them out something. Uh, people, that's another thing. Um, no, I, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Go ahead. He, yeah, he's in Mongolia. Yeah, that's what I just said. That does not mean he needs to send it for Mongolia. Right. We have an agent in the United States. Exactly. That he could go ahead and send it over and in the, in the, in the cost him. See, again, these little things of, you know, the, every every last time that there's a business and a property, there's always an obstacle, but there's always a way to do it. Yes. To do it differently if you take a step back and say, wait a minute, I can do it. Well, I don't have to do that. I can have someone over there do this. Like, I, at one time, I was doing some work in, what was it? I'm trying to remember where it was. You've been everywhere. I'm surprised you can keep up with it. Your passport's got a lot of stamps on it. It, it, it it's doing pretty good. I was yeah. What I did with one of one of the guys I was working with, I don't I don't remember where it was. I actually emailed him. I mailed the ebook to a friend out there, who printed it, and then sent it to him. Right. You know because I, I get, the book that I send out is not an ebook typically. It's typically a hardcover book. So right. And he said okay, and he and he handled it for me. So again, one of the things that we're really good at is is asking that question: What is it you're doing? Right. And what do you you know what do you want to do? What are you doing? Okay, how are you doing it now? And and we found that there's a lot of money that can be saved when you plug the holes. Right. Process, number one, that's one thing to do. And then and then once you plug the holes, then when you put more traffic on top of it and more opportunity on top of it, and then you build bigger offers around it, like the idea of building a business or building offers around what's already there, is something that we have a lot of fun with. Like. Yeah, I was just talking to a friend of mine who had a simple PDF for the insurance industry, but by the end of the call, we were like, okay, that can be used here, and you can be a lead generator over here. You can tie that in with Salesforce, and then you can sell that whole thing to, say, a large insurance company as a whole lead generation. He says, oh, my gosh. That's multifaceted type deal there. That's, that's, 
and that that those are the those are always the best. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is kind of old school. But I've always I've always said that I really I use a company called Pins.com a lot as an example because we because we have a restaurant. Uh, old school marketing today, I swear to God, works better than it did back in the day for a simple fact that most people are too lazy to do it. Most people are not going to lick a stamp. And people still like getting stuff in the mail, and most of what we get in the mail now are bills. And Pins.com is a company that will always send that lumpy uh, envelope, and you know it's got a pin with your company name on it. It always gets open, which is half the battle, as Gary Halbert used to say, A pile, B pile. Most of it goes in the B pile, which is the trash can. And um, I think more of that, uh, again, it's just it's just another thing. Uh, thing people should be considering doing because we I, I when i get something from pins.com it gets open and then you almost feel guilty after three months i ordered about 200 pins because they are always sending me something and and you it, you know anything that rattles uh, there's a great book called ice to eskimos about the guy who had to come in and take over if you haven't read this do david it's a great book uh Actually, it's written by the father of the coach of the Miami Heat who wrote it years ago. His job was to come in and take over the New Jersey Nets, who at the time the team was comprised mainly of criminals. And his job, and they were one of the worst teams in the league, and his job wasn't, wasn't you know, he immediately figured out the team's still going to suck, but how can I increase attendance? And he started doing things like, well, nobody wants to watch the Nets, but they want to watch Michael Jordan. And they would come out to watch Magic, and they'll come out to watch. Bird. And he would package up. And when it was all said and done, and it's all laid out in the book on how he did this. And he also found the database of the customers, sent them all a rubber chicken in the mail that said, "Don't foul out." Increased ticket sales to the point where, when he was done in two years, they went from almost dead last to like number four. Mm-hmm. And this was with the same lousy, horrible team. It was just yeah. brilliant. Got got the old. They they didn't even have names of their season ticket holders. It was all done on hard copy. They didn't even have it on a computer. So he, he accumulated the names, went back, and he, again, you know, that's back when MJ was doing his thing. So, you know, he, it was to the point where he said, "Well, if they don't want to come see us, we know they want to see Jordan." So they would package up special things. But that rubber chicken mailing that said "Don't foul out, renew today" ended up being one of the most effective promotions they'd ever done. And people actually called up mad if they didn't get their their box with the chicken in it. And it was well, this goes this goes back to the idea of what's the rising story that people care about, Michael yeah. Jordan or whatever it is, and, and having a media that would allow that would get open that people said, Hey, this is pretty neat so they would get to this rising story and move it forward. And it I mean it really the key now, what I'm listening more than anything else, is finding that rising story that yeah. works for a particular business. Finding that rising story that, and one of the things we learned from the campaign was that they tracked the president for four years getting ready for the presidency in 08 because they wanted to know what story he could hold flat for that they could promote. See, so yep. this goes back to, as a business owner, author, consultant, what story are you in your business that you know so well that is yours, that is uniquely yours, and that you can hold no matter what? Once yep. you have that, no one can knock you off of your platform. And, see, and, and, you, and you see this a lot of the time with a lot of the celebrities who are famous for being famous. Yeah, you don't know the, uh, the Kardashians do, come to mind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you don't know what they do really, but they're famous. <laughs> 
for being famous. <laughs> yeah, I've used that line a lot. Yeah, with Paris Hilton, I call Paris Hilton the fact, famous for being famous, really. But 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 now watch. You can look at that. Yeah. Famous being famous, but you can be you can actually become famous for being famous within your niche. Famous for being famous because of a story that you become expert over. Or interviewing other famous way. people. Well, the Larry All King right. effect. I yeah. call it the Larry yeah. King effect. Larry wasn't a particularly probing, deep delving interviewer, but he was quiet and he really was. You know, everybody knew who Larry King was because every night he had someone famous on his show. I mean, it, 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 he got the residual effect off that. And, and why not? And, and again, anyone, we have these examples. Yeah. We see that Larry King is an example. Oprah. Oprah, Oprah effect. Oprah. The Oprah yep. effect. You know, she's made many an author a millionaire and given them a, a platform because of who she is. All yep. of these things are just stories. And the yeah. key is, too, there's a couple stories you got to be, be mindful of. Uh, whose story is it that you're promoting? Yours. Yep. And then the story of the marketplace. You know those three stories, where they intersect is exactly where you will find your most opportunity. And and then everything after that is, I hate to say it's pretty regular stuff. You know, it's deliver yep. your product and service and keep it moving and follow up and be nice to people. Everything else you learn in kindergarten. But right. the hard part right now is finding that story. And there's a whole questionnaire that we go through with our clients to help them find that story. And, then, and it's easy to test them because social media is so prevalent out there. You just... Put it. Put something. Up. Did it get likes? Yes. Did it get comments? Yes. Okay. People like that. Great. Do more of that. You keep it moving. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I've got a few minutes. What is one of the largest deals you, that you've done? I think we talked about. I think the, the number was like eighty million or something. I and if I got that wrong, forgive me. You and Not I, when we had just talked, we, just give me an idea of a deal where you just you just crushed it. Because we got about ten minutes, I think, before, and I just like to. You don't have to give me the name of the company or anything. I know there's confidentiality involved in some of that, but I know one of these deals you just crushed it, where you the, their their valuation went up just. In, just oh, they, well, there's, well, there's two there's two type of deals here. The valuation that the one company I was working with is upwards, I believe, to eighty million now. That's one thing. Wow. The largest the largest single transaction I was ever involved with was twenty six million. Wow. Well, that's just that's staggering. Well, that's but wait stag- a minute. Let's look at that. As an employee, okay, was one of them. The other one was as a consultant. Okay, what talk to me about I, the one about the consultant because that's kind of where we're at now. Um, the, the, we had a consultant one was was a really good one because I was able to negotiate stock for a company. So one of the things you can do as a consultant, if you get creative, is you can come in, you can get paid either. Did you take them public, David, or is that what you're saying? No, I, I, okay. I don't. I'm not the public guy. They, okay. they do that. They do it themselves. Okay. Gotcha. Um, but one of the things you can do as a consultant, if you can can get in there and be creative, you can get paid money, you can get stock, or you can get a combination of the two, based on performance and, and how you structure your deal. So don't shy away from that. And you know, you can walk out of a deal with uh, several hundred thousand shares of stock. Now, please understand something: that it's just paper. Right. It's meaningless paper until either you sell it to them or they go public and it becomes valued at X, Y, and Z. But it's a really nice thing to be able to say that you have several hundred shares of stock and say it's worth 2 and $3 a pop, and then you're just waiting. Because when that happens, then you're like, wait, I worked for six months and I made a million dollars. Right. And it's, and it's very quiet. But, again, just please understand that when you go in there and you're working for stock or paper, 
just know that you're going to wait. It's because every company is not, you know, is not built to sell immediately and that type right. of thing. And it's a, that's a whole other conversation about startups and companies packaged to sell. Well, I'm noticing a trend stuff. now that that I learned from Oz and Mayo, which is where they they like to come in and they will raise, they will create additional revenue streams, and in exchange for actual ownership in the business, I know that. Uh, they do this a lot with the Gracie-owned MMA gyms, which they determine that they're, by the way, they're top marketing. And once they, it was, it kind of makes perfect sense to me. Their biggest way of getting people into the gym was flyers on pizza boxes. And it made mm-hmm. me almost think of their, the guy sitting at home with the pizza and the Diet Coke, wondering why he's getting fat. And he's watching the MMA and, you know, and, and, the flyers on here for the gym come down to the Gracie gym or something. He's a famous gym, you know, the jujitsu star. And that alone increased. I mean, so they would come in and they're and the way they do it now is they actually go in and they want a piece of the company as well. And they, and more often than not, they get it. And whether it's stock or ownership or what, I'm seeing that now a lot more of the combination of the two rather than just, Oh, pay me 5,000 to do this. And I, and I think there's something to that. Oh, there is. If you can create yeah. value, then that's the whole thing. It goes back to the basics. If you can create value for that company, the value of the company is either, you know, pay me now or pay me later yep. or both. Yep. And the key is to be patient enough. And, again, this goes back to your level of confidence and what else you have going on because you can't do a stock deal that's going to pay you later if you, can't, if you're, if you don't have money coming in from something somewhere else to keep the lights on. See, so it really – all these pieces that we're speaking to are a matter of growth. You're going to grow into these things. The key is to not get stuck as we started at the very beginning. Don't get stuck at that small ebook, and, and right. not have a back end, back end behind the back end and really know where you're going, which goes back to having a very clear vision for yes. where you want your company to be, the income that you want to make, what it's going to look like, and what it's going to take, who is it going to take for you to be to get there. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's going to take some work for you to get yourself into a position where you're going to be willing and able, you may be able all the time, but willing to do what needs to be done to have the life that you want. It's going to, and, you're, and people are going to, I mean, I hate, not I hate to say it, but it's the truth of the matter. You're not going to believe it. People around you aren't going to believe it. Right. Things aren't going to go right. You're going to have bad days. It's going to happen. This My walk has not been one of, you know, one good thing after another and after another after another. It could read like that on a resume. Sure. But you don't know some of the things I've had to deal with to get where I am now. I can say, oh, yeah, well, here's how that works. See, you get that experience when things don't work. Oh, absolutely. I think you learn I think you learn a lot more from your failures than your successes. I, at least for me, I have. I mean, well, I, I really I mean, do. I would agree. I mean, yeah. you really have to take the time. And, you know, people, what I'm noticing is that people would say, look, you know, I did this one thing, and it made me $10 million in two days. Well, wait a minute, but it took you 10 years to know how to do that one thing that made that $10 million. <laughs> exactly. And, that day. and that's the truth of the matter. And, people, and I, again, I, maybe I'm just filling the beans on, on what No, you're right. Life. You're right about that. If you start adding up man hours and everything else. I did a product that did about $80,000, $90,000. It was my first thing really out, and I'm all excited about it. And then you start cutting up affiliates and then the amount of time and and screwing around and answering emails and everything, and I just said, wow, you know, I'd have to do this about every month to 
you know, to make keep a living. Up. Yeah, you know, I'm glad I've got you know I've, I've got the restaurant. But I mean, yeah, exactly. People and I think people lose track sometimes of their actual man hours they put in or woman hours if we want to be fair here. Um, what what is the best way? I mean. I'm just going to tell people to hit your site up. Um, you don't really, like I said, you, you're pretty much uh, high-end consultant. I'm guessing. No, uh, that's not that's not true. Hold okay, on. well, tell us. We got a couple right. minutes. Shout, shout out, uh, shout out. Direct them to do something here. Yeah, go, if you go to my website, you'll see a couple things. On my blog, you'll see an opt-in. If you if you come on that opt-in list, I put together little videos and send out emails and that type of thing. Okay. I don't only work with high-end. I like it. It's fun. But what I, my heart is, I kind of know what people are because I came up the same way. Remember, I came through the IM space. Yeah. After I was in corporate first, got into the IM space, did the whole speaking thing. So I kind of know what people are. And what I, what I tell folks all the time is, like, before you start doing X, Y, and Z, take a minute and stop, give me a call, and I may be able to save you some time. And, and so That's I'm kind of coming. I'm coming into the market because a lot of my student clients came from from stopping it. A lot of my student clients came from the speaking events I did, and the, the story that I that really touched me was that this one lady um, had spent up all of her money and came to me and said, I really need to, need to know what I need to do on Monday because my mom's in the hospital. I mean, it was a real story. My mom's in the hospital. Right. I need money. And this guy says, RSS feeds is the best thing, and this guy says, Commission Junction is the best thing. This guy says ClickBank, and this guy says Amazon, and I don't know what to do. And I remember looking at her, and I said, let me, I tell you what, I'm going to stop my presentation. I'm not even going to do the presentation I was going to do. And I did a whole presentation for this, this one woman in the room who sat in the front row. That's awesome. Yeah. They're just beeping us for 60 seconds. Man, that was one of the coolest stories. I, it always happens that the lady in the ear beeps and said, you got 60 seconds. David, it has been an honor, man. I'm glad we went the extra half hour. I knew this show would require it. And guys, check out davidbullock.com. This guy knows his stuff. I mean, this was—I I mean, it's the first interview I pretty much shut my mouth. I usually over-talk every guest I've ever had on. Um, you did a—you did a great job, and I, I learned a lot just listening to this. So I appreciate it. And um, get over to davidbullock.com. Get opt-in, guys, really. And Rick, if you're out there, pay—I hope you paid attention. Um, as always. Um, may you live to see the dawn. May all your dreams come true. May you always remain forever young. Everybody out there, stay legendary. David, thank you, brother. I, it was this was an honor. You were on my short list of guys I wanted on this show. Appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Be well. All right, bro. Thank you very, very much. Good night, everybody. God bless.